This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. When we become a citizen of a different country, we are afforded the rights and freedoms of that country. We are also governed by its laws. So what happens when we become citizens spiritually? Alma Karn helps us understand our spiritual citizenship in the Commonwealth of Israel, because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Okay, you know that I am Canadian, but 15 years ago when I moved to the US, a few things changed. Different tax laws, different traffic laws, different laws for pretty much everything. I couldn't live in the US and keep the old laws of Canada. Things change when you come into a new land, and things should change when you come into a new life spiritually. When we become believers, we are supposed to become new citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel. So what does that look like? Well, Al McCarn helps us understand what that really means tonight in the third episode of The Miracle of Israel, Spiritual Citizenship. Speaking of new, we are well into a new month now, the month of ER on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you see it right there. Now, please welcome my co-host, the CEO of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. You're from Canada? <laughs> yeah, eh? Pretty weird. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for Shabbat Night Live. We are so excited to know that we are new citizens of, of the spirit world. And yep. ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for being with us here at A Rude Awakening and Shabbat Night Live. This is going to be a great night with Al McCarn. Yep, and you know, uh, as uh, Rodney Thompson, who did a, a love gift for us a couple months ago, uh, he said it well, where he said, you know, we're not supposed to be uh, pandering to the world and making them like us and all this kind of, we're the ones that are supposed to be different. Absolutely. You know, so when you come Absolutely. into, you know, when you come into a new faith, you've got to give up that old life. Right. It, it really is true what I was saying here. There are different laws. People think, oh, it's Canada's 51st state. What's the difference? There are a lot of differences. Anyone who's come from a different country to the U.S. can tell you that, yeah. even from Canada. And it's a real, it, it opens your eyes to, oh, wow, you know, this is what it's supposed to be like coming into uh, not a you know not new faiths per se, sure. but into the real understanding of your faith. This is how you're supposed to be different. You're yeah. supposed to give up the old laws of the old life yeah. and come into you know Yehovah's Torah, His teaching, His laws. Yeah, and you know Scott, uh, with all of that, we're now in the 21st day of the Omer. Mm -hmm. Now, Scott, can you maybe there's there could be some people out there that may or may not understand what the Omer is. So can right. you refresh our memory on what the Omer is and sure. why this 21st day is so important? So we get this from Leviticus, where uh, we're supposed to bring, uh, you know, it says Leviticus 23, 15 and 16, literally says, uh, you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. uh, the, so that's the morrow after the, the 
the Passover. Passover. So the first yeah. Sabbath after that. Now yeah. that is the day of first fruits. Right. So then you start counting uh, that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering because that's yes. what we do, the first fruits, right? Right, right. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete until the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, which you shall number 50 days, right? So seven right. times seven weeks, 49 days, 50th day. That 50th day is Shavuot. So in between there, we're not supposed to just, you know, sit there and do nothing. It's almost like, you know, we count the Omer. So day of first fruits is day one and Shavuot is day 50. So it's 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 like a countdown, but we're counting up. And, and, and isn't the Omer kind of like a, a unit of measurement within the Bible? Yeah, it refers to uh, wheat. So it's, uh, some some people say it's about three cups of flour, something like that equates mm. to something somewhere around there. Uh, and that's the unit of measure that was used to make the wave offering, the barley loaf. So you think about right. three cups of flour, yeah, that's about enough to make a loaf of bread. Right. Makes sense. Okay, okay, so that's what the Omer is, and we count the Omer. And it is common among Torah-observant believers to mark each day during this period by, like we said, counting the Omer, right. 49 days up to the 50th day of the count, which is you know the actual day of Shavuot. So instead of counting upward towards Shavuot, like I was saying, yeah. uh, you know, think of it as a countdown. Yeah. A countdown to deliverance. That's mm. what Shavuot is really all about, right? So both in terms of Israelites and our deliverance from things that are you know rapidly approaching in our world. So it's like, let's use this as a time to Yehovah, what am I supposed to do? You know, I don't know if, if you and your wife struggle with this, but my wife and I do. We see it all falling apart. Absolutely. We hear all these voices from alternative media, media saying, do this, do that, mm -hmm. gold, silver, mm -hmm. buy land, yeah. protect yourself, <laughs> do this, do that, yeah. get tradable items, you know, like a barter system. What am I supposed to do? You know, right. and, and sometimes we get caught in that fear, like uh, Tim Mahoney was talking about at our Passover event. We need to be free from fear, right. depend on Yehovah and just stop. Right. and say, okay, Yehovah, what do you want me to do? Well, you know, Scott, it's it's very interesting that you say that because, you know, fear and faith are two spiritual things that cannot live in the same place, ladies and gentlemen. So you're either going to live in faith or you're going to live in fear. And those two things can't occupy the same space. You have to live in faith. We cannot live in fear, especially in this time and in this world, Scott. It has just gotten too crazy out there. People are killing babies right now. And it, we just have to stop. We gotta stop all of this. This is, this is absolutely mind-numbing that the evil that can be in this world can, can happen in this way. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I just have to believe in faith and I have to believe in the almighty God and that he is going to protect us. And that's something we all should be thinking about right now is that we're gonna live in faith, we're gonna live under the protection, the umbrella, the anointing, mm -hmm. as it were, of the almighty and stop living in fear and start taking action to, to do things to, to make our world safer. Indeed, and, and you know, when we, we forget the story of the Israelites, when everything was falling around them, like yes. going to hell in a handbasket oh, yeah. in Israel, oh, yeah. or in Israel, pardon me, in Egypt, um, they lived right in the middle of that. Oh yeah. But they were protected. Yes. So even though things are going on in the world, even though we say we've got to stop this, you know, this nonsense that's going on, hopefully this falls on some ears that will actually listen. But more than that, we just need to believe that, you know, if we just put our trust in Yehovah, never mind what's going on all around us, yeah. 
We need to take care of our household first, and that's what uh, Al McCarn's actually talking about in this uh, love gift teaching he's doing too. You know, Scott, I know we have scripts and everything mm -hmm. else that we deal with, but right now I feel so led that we should pray. Scott, would you okay. would you pray for our nation, pray for our world, and and, and pray right now uh, that people will understand the truth of the gospel? For sure. Right now. All right, let's pray together. So, Yahweh, we thank you for the ability to even do this broadcast. I thank yes, you for Ted. Did. I thank you for Michael, who made all this possible. Yes, he just he went out on a limb and created this this uh, ministry. If people knew the lengths that went yes. to, that he went on, he maxed out credit cards. He slept on park benches overnight. Yes, Father, Father. Yes. he really went through the ringer to to make this happen. Yes. and uh, we want to just Father pray that you would first of all bring him up, Father. He, yes. we need to hear his voice again, and mm -hmm. we thank you for, that you are bringing him up. Uh, and we just want to thank you for everyone who supports this ministry, everyone yes. who prays for this ministry. We're not just talking about financial support. We're talking about prayers. We're yes. talking about looking to you because you yes. are our source. Mm -hmm. And Father, we just want to pray for our world that you would heal those. We pray that the words we speak on the stage would actually go to some people who would listen yes. and help forward what we are saying, that this world is nuts. Stop doing like the world is doing and turn to Yehovah, repent. Yes. Yes. And Father, for those who uh, who know the truth and no one will listen to them, I just pray that you would protect them, like the Israelites in Goshen, that you, even though things are falling all around them, that they would be standing up in your word and yes. Father, that people would see that. And even if they don't even have to say anything, that they would see your power through those yes. people so that all glory goes to you. Hallelujah. And we thank you for this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Good idea, Amen. Ted. Thank Amen. You. All right. Thanks, Scott. All right. Well, what happens when we become citizens spiritually? Al McCarran helps us understand our spiritual citizenship in the Commonwealth of Israel. The Kiddush with Michael is next. Hey, folks, I'm actually in Israel. This is called Boots on the Ground for Shabbat Night Live. I'm here with the Shabbat Night Live superstar, Aaron. Shalom. Aaron and I are where, and where are we at right now? We are in one of the most amazing places in the land of Israel, the place where Joshua built an altar according to the commandment of Moses. We are on Mount Ebal. Wait, 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 wait. Mount Ebal, you mean like in Jerusalem? Or are you talking about, where is the... We are in the region of Samaria, what's called sometimes the West Bank or something like that, uh, and we are on the central mountain ridge of Israel where all the Israelites convened in, 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 together, all the tribes, to, to commemorate the ceremony of blessings and curses mm. that Moses commanded the Israelites to do. Now, folks, if you've seen the series with him, it's an awesome series on Shabbat Night Live. I've done some series on Shabbat Night Live, but I'm telling you right now, the future is what I really want to talk about. I want to invite people to be able to come to Israel, all over Israel, West Bank, not West Bank, settlers, not settlers, east, north, south, and west, to come and meet you, and you can actually bring, he actually set up the military to bring us to this place. Why was that, how were you able to do that? Well, I have connections, no, <laughs> uh, any, any, Anybody that wants to visit Joshua's altar can do that, yeah. and uh, the army makes uh, whatever it can yeah. to accommodate yeah. that and to help people yeah. that want to visit this very important holy site. Yeah, so we got boots on the ground. Those that are listening to Shabbat Night Live, listen. <laughs> we got boots on the ground. You can actually come here. This fall, we're doing something called a a prayer pilgrimage in Israel. We're going to try to hook up with him when we're here. But more than that, possibly after this, if you feel good about it, maybe we could set up a tour like a year from now. What do you think? Would love to. You guys ought to think about that. You, you, boots, wanna, you want to come here? Yeah, boots on the ground in Israel. We're here. Let's keep on, uh, let's keep plugging. plugging. <laughs> Throughout the centuries, enemies have gone to war over the worthiest of causes. And yet, 
all of these causes fade into the pages of history. So why do we fight? If our adversary can cause us to forget how we became who we are, then we become unstable structures with no firm foundation. Al McCarn served as a military intelligence officer with the United States Army and comes from a long line of military men. But his greatest tour of duty was not to serve America. It was to serve his family, just as his enemies were doing. This teaching, The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in April, we'll send you The Warrior's Kingdom Calling on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, plus a pewter and rhinestone wall hanging in the shape of the word Ahava, meaning love in Hebrew. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. The Warrior's Kingdom Calling, the Hebrew Ahava wall hanging, plus a decorative 10-inch resin scroll of the Lord's Prayer, complete with a metal easel for stand-up display. These gifts are a limited-time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rude Awakening International in April. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. Several years ago, I was in the land of Israel and having Sabbath dinner with a group of Messianic Jews. They brought out the Negelvesser, the two-handled pot, and they said this prayer in Hebrew, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. I stopped, I said, this is exactly what Yeshua did not do. He said, this is takanot. This is a commandment that is added by the Pharisees and Yeshua said, do not follow the takanot in Maasim of the Pharisees. Don't do what they do, say you're doing it for me. Yeshua said, as often as you do this, this is what you do. You take the bread, and especially on Shabbat, we do this in remembrance of him. Barukata Yehovah Elohim Melech Olam, Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. This is how Yeshua blessed the Most High with the very blessing that Melchizedek spoke to Abraham and Abraham. Abraham saw Yeshua's day and he rejoiced because he recognized the broken body, and Yeshua said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Elohim Melech Olam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, and Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you break this bread and you drink this cup and you say this prayer, you recognize that it is all about me. It is all about me. 
and that you will be drinking this cup with me in my Father's kingdom. Lahaim. Shabbat Shalom. If you have ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, this animated film from Disney, this is all about when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, and there's a scene where they are literally doing that. Pharaoh finally has enough and says, fine, get out of here. They're leaving Egypt, and there are several Egyptian guards standing there watching the Israelites leave. And there's a, a very quick scene, and if you blink, you'll miss it, but the Folks that they had uh, consulted to make this movie knew something and they said, make sure you put this in and you'll know what I mean when you see it. The Egyptian guard, one of them, drops his spear, turns around and follows the Israelites. Now, this brings up Exodus 12, 38. A mixed multitude went up with them. And last week we were talking about Al Makarn and how the Gentiles could be included with the Jews. And Al, like we were saying just before the cameras came on, they've always been included. We've always been there before this the Torah was given on Mount Sinai. We were part of the group at the foot of the mountain. That is exactly the, the point. Um, God has always, well, okay. What does he say to Abraham in Genesis 12, three, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That means I'm gonna adopt the whole world, all the nations, because I'm starting with you, Abraham. I'm adopting you into my family, through you will come a nation and you'll be the father of nations. And this is not a racial or ethnic or DNA thing. This is a, I'm adopting you because I love you thing. Right, Abraham was not the first Jew. No. That's wrong. Abraham was the Hebrew. And that's, you know, I'm not Jewish. And I do not want to usurp the place of my Jewish sisters and brothers. They have their place in the kingdom. I am a Hebrew because I have crossed over into the Hebraic identity. I'm still a retired military intelligence officer. I am still husband to Charlene and father to Rachel and Catherine and grandfather to Ellie and Eliezer. I am still from Alabama. I'm still an American. And I could add more labels as well. Whatever label you want, I got a lot of them. <laughs> We all do, but I am identifying with the God of the Hebrews and the Messiah of the Hebrews. And because of that, I am as much Hebrew as are the Philistines who were David's personal guard when he fled from Absalom. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Good it's reminder. A, oh, this is a great story. Yeah, there have always been foreigners. David's great-grandmother was Ruth from Moab. Um, one of David's ancestors was Tamar, who for all I know was a Canaanite woman. Um, and my, who do we get from this line? Yeshua. Exactly. <laughs> this is his family. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, um, if in his genealogy, there are four women mentioned. His mother, Mary, there is um, Ruth, the Moabitess. There is a Tamar, <laughs> who was the mother of Judah's sons, Perez, it's an interesting story. I'll not go into that. Read it in Genesis 38. Don't read it to your children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the adult version of the adult, it. Yes. The adult portion of the Bible. 
uh, there's also this woman named Bathsheba who was formerly wife of Uriah. The Hittite. The Hittite. Uriah was a foreigner. He was a Hittite, but he was one of David's mighty men. And he was so loyal to the anointed king of Israel that he would not go home to his wife while the king's armies were still out in the field actively campaigning. Um, who was the first person who heard the message of the Messiah, according to John 4? It was this Samaritan woman, this foreigner. Yeah, the, the redemptive nation of Israel, the covenant nation has always been about including all of those who accept the invitation to come in. And uh, the fact that the Jewish people are still there carrying the, um, carrying the identity of Israel that is so that the rest of us have something to be grafted into. Hosea 1, 7. Hosea is one of my favorite prophetic books because Hosea talks about the judgment, especially on Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel. How we get the lost 10 tribes is because that judgment was carried out. Um, but Hosea in the first chapter is giving a word of hope. And in the seventh verse of Hosea chapter one, he talks about Judah will be saved, but not by horses and chariots, essentially by the spirit of God. Guess what? Judah's still here. We don't know where Ephraim is. Well, yeah, as one of my Israeli friends said, who knew they're in church pews? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me go to the new covenant chapter. Scott, I, I, I like teaching from scripture. By the way, before I get there, do you know there's only one thing that God says that he will do with all his heart and all his soul? Can you guess what that is? No. It is to restore all of Israel. Hmm. There's this um, chapter in Jeremiah, chapter 32, and to set the scene, the Babylonians are besieging Jerusalem. Jeremiah is in prison. There's no hope here for the city, for the monarchy, for the country, for Jeremiah himself. You know, they're all gonna die. And um, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, your cousin's gonna come to you and offer you uh, to buy his field that's in your hometown of Anathoth. So uh, I want you to buy it. And I imagine Jeremiah sitting in the dungeon and saying, I serve a God with a sense of humor. But Jeremiah goes through with the, um, the transaction and he buys this field. And God says, this is a sign because there will be land bought and sold here. There will be Jerusalem reestablished. Uh, the nation will be reestablished. And we get toward the end of that chapter. And in verse 40 of Jeremiah 32, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good for them. I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. See, that's a new covenant thing because the new covenant is about the new heart that we are given. And then he says, yes, I will delight in doing good for them with all my heart and all my soul. I will in truth plant them in this land. It's the only place in the scripture that our creator says with all his heart and with all his soul, he's gonna do something. What's he gonna do? Plant Israel back in Israel's land. That's why we have a modern state of Israel. Hmm. 
that's why Christians who are hearing the call are going to help these Jewish pioneers continue building that prophecy, building the prophecy. You know, God speaks the prophecy and it will come about one way or the other. The question is, do we wanna be a part of the fulfillment or not? <laughs> like that in the movie, Prince of Egypt, I like that, that story, Scott, but that Egyptian soldier saw what was happening in front of him. And he may not have understood the nuances of following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and uniting with these Hebrews. And he certainly didn't understand all the promises of, hey, they're going out to the land that God promised them. But he didn't understand that's where the power is. That's where salvation is. It's not over here with these gods who have just been judged and destroyed. And he voted with his feet, as did that whole mixed multitude of Egyptians and Canaanites and Greeks and whoever else, uh, Nubians, Samarians, all of those who were in Egypt at the time and saw the God of the Hebrews come through with power and great glory. They said, I want that. Mm -hmm. And then it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. <laughs> He's still working on that. That's why the new covenant is all about a heart which is why I want to get to this right now. Okay. Good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, it'll preach, as my father-in-law, blessed memory said. Okay, Jeremiah 31, starting verse 31, is where he's giving these promises. And, you know, the um, previously I had referred to the promise earlier in Jeremiah where God says you're going to plant vineyards in the hills of Samaria. And he's talking about the return of Ephraim there. You know, the lost dispersed northern kingdom, 10 tribes. All of us who can't prove that we're Hebrews, but because we have faith in, in, in our Jewish Messiah, son of David, well, we're part of his kingdom now. Um, and let me step back for a minute. That doesn't mean I'm going to go immediately to my Jewish Israeli friends and say, hi, I'm one of you, give me a place to live. It means... I'm going to be doing in humility what my Christian friends are doing, trying to help them walk out the promises and do my part of walking out the promises as well. I seem to recall when Joseph was separated from his brothers the first time, it took a certain set of circumstances and heart changes in the entire family before the time was right for God to permit him to reveal himself to his brethren. I don't wanna push that. I just wanna go wherever there is common ground and where we can link arms and move forward together. Even with acknowledging everything that is different, everything that we, we disagree on, we got that, yeah. But there's a common kingdom calling here. And if we don't walk it out together, who will? Right, and, and that will even filter down to other things. So we yeah. see even our own nation, Mm -hmm. In the U.S. here, we're divided on political lines. But if we would just forget about the things we are opposed, uh, that oppose us, there, there's a lot more that connects us. And we need mm -hmm. to, uh, as someone put it to me this weekend, we're on team humanity. Amen. And there are those who are maybe don't want to see team humanity survive. So we've got to get together and do that. And it might as well start from the spiritual. Yes. Well, absolutely, it should start from the spiritual. Okay, so let me get to the spiritual. Jeremiah 31, 
Beginning in verse 31, after God says, yeah, I'm going to restore Israel. You know what else is in? <laughs> I so many rabbit holes, it's fun. <laughs> but what else is in Jeremiah 31? Folks, read through this whole chapter. There will be some surprising things in there that you didn't know were in that chapter, such as the prophecy of the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. That's there. Mm. Jeremiah 31, 15, of Rachel weeping for her children. You know, Rachel died in the region of Bethlehem. That's why she's weeping. Um, and why it mentions so much in this chapter, Ephraim. Well, she was Joseph's mother. Who's she weeping for? Her children who are no longer there. They've been scattered and dispersed and ceased being a people. And my Jewish brethren regard Rachel as their mother, and rightly so, yes, because she's weeping for the house of Judah also, who was scattered and destroyed and in um, so many ways harmed. But then we get to verse 31, and here's the promise. I will read this out. Again, I'm using Tree of Life version. Behold, days are coming. It is a declaration of Adonai. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant with, I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, it is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, no Adonai, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, it is a declaration of Adonai, for I will forgive their iniquity. Their sin I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. And notice it's not made with the house of America or the house of Canada or the house of Kenya or the house of Japan. It's made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if you want to know what the one new man is, well, you skip down a little bit and it says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Because we come into it as two distinct separate peoples from two different directions. There are those who from time immemorial have held fast to the Torah of God because he gave it to Moses for the children of Abraham and for all the nations. And that's why the Jewish people are still the heart and soul, the core of Israel today. And then there's the rest of us. And why did God scatter those apostate 10 tribes into the nations? My belief is so that he could send them out as messengers and emissaries to say there is a God this is one of those things in Ezekiel 11, this little cryptic phrase that says, I'll be a little sanctuary to them wherever they go. That's another new covenant chapter, Ezekiel 11. And they carry the knowledge of a connection with the Almighty that they have lost, but the promise that they will be redeemed. And these are the peoples who are receptive to the gospel of salvation in Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom following hard after that, saying, come back. It's why for 2,000 years, this message of redemption in 
the Jewish Messiah, who we seem to forget the Jewish part, is now maturing to the point that many around the world are understanding if we're connected to Israel's Messiah, that must mean our identity is with Israel. And then, as Ezekiel says in, in that Gog Magog passage, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and also what he says in the two sticks prophecies in Ezekiel 37, he's talking about these two houses of Israel coming together and they will no longer be two nations, no longer be separate, but David will be their king. That's why we pledge allegiance to the son of David. That's why Jews are still looking for Messiah, son of David. We can proclaim he came first and I have no apology there of proclaiming that because he left these sheep who were in the fold and came to get me. Mm. And my people did not know who we were. I can trace my lineage back to Scotland in the 1730s or even a little bit before that. I could even say we were part of Clan Donald back in the sixth century when the clan was founded. That's all I know. Before that, I have no clue. So my people had no identity and heritage before the invention of Scotland. Now, my identity because of this promise goes back to Abraham. Hmm. And I can rejoice that my Jewish brothers and sisters have retained their identity through the ages because they help me know what it means to be a son of Abraham. And that's why I want to help them rebuild the temple, reclaim the land, exercise sovereignty over Judea and Samaria, and be a blessing to the whole world, starting with the Arabs who are their neighbors. And I think they would agree with that. Mm. In fact, I know they would agree with that. <laughs> and in fact, they are just as much Ephraim mm -hmm. as we are. They're, they're of that second house. That's everybody. That's the Arabs. That's us. That's Yeah. You know, Scott, the way I look on this, because um, the two-house idea has been much maligned, as, as you know. In, um, <clears throat> we, we're called heretics and all kinds of other things. Well, you know, I have had through my sojourn a number of different views of the kingdom, starting with there's supposed to be this rapture thing and we're taken off to heaven and then everything's gonna be fine and we come back. And no one can explain to me what's the kingdom like after that. Um, but we know that Jesus is the king and that he's the son of David and eventually the whole world will be um, worshiping him, rejoicing in him. There will be peace through all the nations because of the messianic age. My Jewish friends are looking forward to the same thing. They won't call the Messiah Jesus. They, they have reasons for believing that the Jesus I accepted when I was nine years old is not Messiah. It's another story. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they're looking for Messiah, son of David. They have a kingdom vision that's far more defined than I, mine. They take it from what God said to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the prophets and what they've been talking about in their Midrashic circles for 3,000 years. So if I wanna know what the kingdom is like, I need to go to them. My Messianic Jewish brethren have a view of the kingdom as well, with eventually Messiah returns. And we all weep, as Zechariah said, over one uh, 
who's like an only son who's been pierced and we did the piercing. And my evangelical brethren understand they want Jesus to come back. So do my Catholic and Greek Orthodox and Coptic brethren. We're all looking for Messiah to return and bring this age a final redemption. So instead of throwing rocks at each other and finding fault with the doctrinal views that we have, maybe we should approach it as these blind men who approach an elephant and try to describe it. Mm. We've all got a piece. Every piece is valid. And we don't see how the pieces fit together, but we will only find out if we drop our hostility and start cooperating as the sons and daughters of Abraham that he's called us to be. Well put, let's continue on. All right, you are watching Al McCarran. Thank you for watching. There's some very good things said there and there's more to come in this episode. You made it all possible with your donations. Your donations are what make this happen. Unfortunately, that's just the way the world works. These things take money to make happen and you have done that, so thank you very much. We're gonna give you an opportunity to do more of that in just a second here and thank you for doing it in advance. Welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were speaking about being one new man and how, Al, we were saying it's more important to see those connections and those similarities rather than differences and argue on those things yeah. because uh, we're all on one team here in the end and maybe we ought to learn to play with each other nicely. Yeah, that would be good. We have, that term, one new man, is kind of like a theological football in evangelical and messianic circles because we get it from, in fact, let's, let's go there. Okay, let's, let's go there. <laughs> We don't avoid the hard topics here. We just dive Let's, right in. Gee, why not? <laughs> Ephesians 2, that's the only place you're going to have it mentioned in those words. Did I get that right? I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see, you were dead in your trespasses and sins is how the chapter comes about. And then we get, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not based on deeds so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. Okay, that's what I learned in church and in church school and in Bible studies in evangelical circles because by grace I've been saved through faith. I contributed nothing to my salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I grew up Calvinist. <laughs> no, praise God for John Calvin and the Reformed theology. Um, every, every theological framework has holes in it. But I have learned as much from my Calvinist teachers as I did from my Arminian free will teachers and my Messianic teachers. Because as I said earlier, we've all got a piece of it and we all, as Paul said it, we only see through a glass dimly. Mm -hmm. So we're doing our best to grope through this obscured world, trying with our finite minds to describe the infinite. And um, it's kind of counterproductive to find fault with someone else when we don't even know the full extent of what we're looking at. That's a good word for a counterproductive. We're not moving forward together and... Yes, that's yeah. right. We keep pointing out the in other people's eyes, <laughs> but we can't see because of this log in mind. All right, so where does this go on? Verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore, keep in mind that once you, Gentiles in the flesh, ah, like me, I was born in the nations. 
not a natural born Israelite. Gentile, that would be me. You were, past tense, called uncircumcision by those called circumcision, which is a shorthand to say Gentiles and Jews. So you were, you're the uncircumcision. You were that. Form called by those, uh, the, yeah, by those called circumcision, which is performed on flesh by hand. At that time, you were separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. It's the only time you're going to find that phrase in, in Hebrew. It's a political term. I understand that. I'm a political guy. I look at the, common, the British commonwealth and see these are all these nations English, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, that's the United Kingdom, Canada, Dominion of Canada, uh, South Africa, India, Pakistan, Australia, New Zealand, all these countries that were at one time ruled by England, the British Commonwealth. They're independent, but they are tied culturally and by language to Great Britain. And a lot of our laws in Canada came from British ideas and things that were already established in Britain. Yeah, so I read Paul writing Commonwealth of Israel 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, and I see British Commonwealth must be something similar. I suppose we had a similar understanding of politics and different political frameworks. Okay, I can accept that. Let's move on. You were excluded from the Commonwealth of Israel. I, being a native-born American citizen, would be excluded from the British Commonwealth because I was not born in Canada. Hmm. How about that? But should I move to Canada and seek to emigrate? That would change. Now, you have been excluded from the Commonwealth of Israel and you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Uh-oh. That new covenant I just read about with the new heart and it's gonna have God's Torah written on it, and I will know God, and I don't have anyone to say, you need to know him because I know him. I'm excluded from that because I'm not part of the commonwealth of Israel. Oh, and you have no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Those far off and those near Paul is echoing what the prophets say about the two houses of Israel. Because Ephraim is far off, scattered and destroyed into the nations, exiled. Judah is brought near because they returned from exile twice. <laughs> um, okay, but we've been cut off and we can't take part of this covenant except for Israel's Messiah opening the way. For he is our shalom, the one who made the two into one and broke down the middle wall of separation within his flesh. He made powerless the hostility. The law code of mitzvot contained in regulations. We can argue all day about what that means because there are many different interpretations. He did this in order to create within himself one new man from the two groups, making shalom and to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. 
He came and proclaimed shalom to you who are far away and shalom to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the same ruach, the same spirit. So then, you who were far off and cut off and were stranger without hope, so then, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You've been built up on the foundation made up of the emissaries, the apostles and prophets, with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling place in the Ruah. So that's the bulk of Ephesians chapter 2. So it starts with what I learned in Sunday school of by grace I'm saved through faith, and then he explains what that means. I'm saved from being cut off from my creator and from the covenant household he made and the covenant promise of redemption and regeneration that he made with that covenant nation. So the only way I'm going to get into that covenant is to become a subject of that covenant's Messiah. Be in the commonwealth. Precisely. And if I were to become a naturalized Canadian citizen, I would raise my hand and make an oath to be a subject of the dominion of Canada and also now of Britain's king because Canada's part of the commonwealth. Well, guess what? That's the same thing that happened when I gave my life to my Jewish Messiah. I did not understand that at nine, at nine years of age at Dawson Memorial Baptist Church when I publicly proclaimed my faith. It's a spiritual citizenship. It is a spiritual citizenship. And now the question is, since we understand, <laughs> we understand this spiritual citizenship, how do we walk it out into our present reality? See, the church has been very, very good about understanding a heavenly kingdom citizenship, but what's missing out of that is an understanding that the heavenly kingdom is called Israel. And we sing about this. I remember at Christmas time, what would we sing? You know, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And we'd sing, born is the king of Israel. You know, it sounds really good when you're up there in a living Christmas tree and singing it, you know, on December 23rd in front of an audience. But when you think about the words, wait a minute, my, my savior is king of Israel. And what is Israel? And if he's king of Israel, am I part of that? Paul says I am. In fact, Isaiah says I am. Jeremiah says I am. Hosea says I am. Moses says I am. Do I need to go against those witnesses? Paul references the testimony, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Were they missing something? Were they wrong in when they were saying that the way is open for all into this redemptive covenant nation of Israel? One of the first lessons I learned when we were attending a Messianic Jewish synagogue was about Naaman the Syrian. 
is it was at the, the Oneg after the Shabbat service. I was sitting across the table from one of the elders and I was asking him these questions because I'm just beginning to understand what Torah is and how it applies to me. And I said, what do we do about Christmas? And he said, do you know the story of Naaman the Syrian? And I said, yeah, I think so. And uh, he referred me there to 2 Kings chapter five, I believe it is. And um, Naaman, Yeshua talks about him. All the lepers in Israel and the only one who's cleansed is this foreigner, Naaman the Syrian, a general of the Syrian army, an enemy of Israel. But he follows the directive of Israel's prophet and in the name of the Almighty God, bathes in the Jordan River seven times and he's cleaned, cleansed of his sickness. And from that point, he goes to Naaman and he says, can I take some dirt from here? you know, as much as a mule can carry and take it back to Damascus because I am not gonna sacrifice to any other God but your God. And um, oh, by the way, I'm still serving my king. I can't get away from that. So when my king takes me into the house of his God and leans on my hand and has me to kneel at his God's altar, would you please pardon me? The, um, the elder who was sitting across the table from me explaining this in this Messianic Jewish synagogue, he said, you know what the prophet said? He said to Naaman, go in peace. I took his meaning at that point to be, my heart is right like Naaman's heart was right. Circumstances are such that I cannot worship God as I believe he would like me to worship him, but I still want to honor him the best I can. Is that okay? And Elisha said, go in peace. The prophet who is in the spirit of Elijah, the one who's restoring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers, the one who showed us what that means. So the church, for 2000 years has been in the place of, we don't know exactly how to worship this God of Israel, but we know he is God. And now God is saying, after saying, go in peace, he's saying, all right, here's who you really are now. And here's what I want you to know for this next step in my kingdom restoration. So for all these centuries, we have looked at this phrase, one new man, and we said, that's great. It means everybody's gonna be like me now. We're all gonna believe in Jesus the way I believe, the way I've been taught, the way I've received through the ages. Only the way the Catholics believe in Jesus and the way the Baptists believe in Jesus and the way the Presbyterians and Anglicans believe is a whole lot different from each other. And that's why there've been wars and fightings among us continuously. But when you understand that this one new man is in the context of the commonwealth of Israel and all of us coming into that, well, then there's room for our diversity because our identity is shared. Which brings up a lesson about the tribes. <laughs> you know, when you see the organization of the camp of Israel around the tabernacle, there were tribes that didn't get along. Judah and Ephraim did not get along. Um, there's a reason that they were on opposite sides of the camp. 
because the only way they could look at each other was through the tabernacle, through the presence of the living God. And then the differences melt away and they can contribute those strengths and abilities that God has downloaded into them to the betterment of the entire nation. That's where I think he wants to take us now, if we'd only follow his lead. Hmm. So instead of saying the windshield is the greatest part of the car, no, no, no. <laughs> we make the tires. The tires are the best part of the car. That keeps you safe. We need to work together to build the car. I seem to recall an apostle writing about that, you know, what the, the hand is arguing against the nose and mm -hmm. the eye, and if you didn't have the nose, where's the smelling? And yeah, right. it's the same thing. We've, we have not learned the lesson. And um, so we have, we have the different factions still fighting each other. <sighs> and I think that grieves our, our God more than anything else. You know, we just have a few minutes left, and there's an organization that you've, you've started here, and I, I can't help but think that it's to help mend some of this. Yes. Tell us just briefly, and we'll get into it more maybe next episode, but yeah. uh, B'nai Yosef International, what's, what's this about? B'nai Yosef North America. Please visit our website, B-N-E-Y-Y-O-S-E-F-N-A.com. Yeah, we are about to finish our seventh year. It's a group of um, people who actually take these promises and, and believe them. And, um, it, you know, that, Scott, that's another miracle story. But we were formed after the first B'nai Yosef National Congress that was held in Ariel, Israel in May of 2015. And there's uh, several of us, mostly American. We had some Canadians as well. And we said, we're not Jewish. We are the house of Joseph. We are the children of Joseph. That's B'nai Yosef. Why don't we continue what we have proclaimed here in Israel at the B'nai Yosef Congress? We had about 120 people from 12 different nations in that first Congress. And let's establish an organization here in North America to facilitate the regathering of the House of Joseph here on this continent. Now, we are still a leadership cadre in essence, uh, I'm, I'm the executive director, which means I'm in charge of the administrative council. We, we have prayer directors. We have our uh, finance, our administration, and our communications. We answer to a group of elders who are seasoned men and women, congregational leaders, many who've been in this movement for decades, like John and Joy Conrad of the House of Aaron at Eskdale, Utah. And we all have this vision that the kingdom will be complete when the dry bones of Ephraim are resurrected as the dry boons of Judah have been resurrected and the two can come together in Messiah's hand. And we have spent seven years now trying to walk this out. First of all, learning to live with and respect and love one another in the terms of how our God in his Torah told us how to live and how our Messiah walked it out and how his apostles further explained. So we're trying to walk that out as well and emphasize through our ministry of reconciliation, our Hebraic identity. So um, yeah, you can, you can see our website and you can see our, listen to our podcast, which I'm part of the production team. We call it Reunion Roadmap. And we interview a number of interesting people from around the world, Jewish, Christian, Ephraimite, because um, it's all part of the kingdom restoration. And you can hear some pretty good teaching from our elders, uh, Barry Phillips and David Jones, because they are on there every week. Um, so that's what B'nai Yosef North America is. 
right now. I like to look on us as um, my favorite kingdom parable, Matthew 13, 33. The kingdom's like a woman who took uh, leaven and hid it in three measures of meal, and before long, it was all leaven. We're, we're some of the leaven. Mm. <laughs> Walking in many camps, but carrying this identity of being Israel deep in our hearts and wanting to see that, um, that blessing come to the entire body. Let's talk more about that restoration in uh, another week. Let's come back one more time and just explain how we can do this. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> if you have time, that is. I you know. do. I would be glad to. <laughs> All right. Al McCarn, thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for joining us here. And I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, this is a great, uh, great teaching of restoration and how we can find commonality. Uh, and joining the right camp, joining <laughs> how we are together and how we, how we can find common ground. So thank you for joining us again. We'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shavuot Tov and Shabbat Shalom.